I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Zone Media. <laughs> it's spooky week. Dick it happened here. It's spooky week, the week where things are spooky. Uh, I'm your host, Mia Wong, and with me is Garrison. Hello. Or and hello. today. Fine, whatever. I did it. Alright, alright, we've gotten we've gotten this, we've gotten the, the preliminary spooky out. And so t- today we're going to be talking about one of the sort of key elements of, hol- of Halloween, and that is chocolate. And so on, on, on a very basic level, we're going to ask, what is chocolate? And the answer, and it pains me to say this as someone who really loves chocolate, is really, really bleak. Yeah. But before we get into exactly how bleak it is, uh, we're going to look at sort of the early history of chocolate. So most so okay th- there's there's a lot of disagreement about exactly how old chocolate is. I've seen sources that say 3000 BC. I uh, I've seen sources that say 1700 BC. The 1700 BC is the one that's pretty consistent. It, it, it seems like the Olmecs had something like chocolate. That's a, it's, a, it's a sort of bitter drink that they sometimes yeah. they put vanilla or red pepper in. Yeah, it was it was it was it was like a bitter slurry that you I, from what I hear, not very enjoyable, but it got you like really high, like not high, like 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 weed, but like kind of like cocaine. It was it was it was like it was it was a massive stimulant. Is, is yeah, yeah. From, from what I hear about <laughs> these kind of early, gross, bitter chocolate slurries. Yeah, and and you know, and I mean, this is a thing that's this is not a regular consumption drink. Basically, everyone who uses this, and this, and, th- and chocolate is consumed by a bunch of different civilizations, like across, like most of South America. There's some in sort of uh, like the Mayans, obviously the Mayans and the Aztecs too. There's there's a lot of places where where this is being used, and it, it's everyone seems to use it for ritual purposes. Yeah, I think at some point the. 
think it was the the Olmecs at some point were doing these like they were they were making fermented alcohol out of so so normally with with chocolate you're using the like the cocoa beans right but there's like a flesh in the flute fruit around the beans and they were making like a fermented thing out of that and i don't know i i, I leave as an exercise to the reader whether you count that as chocolate but the sort of conventional story goes okay so like several thousand years after the olmecs the aztecs and the mayans are using it for ritual purposes and the story basically is okay so herman cortez drinks chocolate with the aztec king moctezuma Cortez goes, this is bitter as shit and sucks ass, but he brings it back to Europe anyways. And in Europe, they mix it with sugar and also with honey, but mostly with sugar. And it becomes, you know, it becomes very, very popular to drink in Europe. And at some point, this is like in the 1840s, so like, like it takes them about like 300 years to figure out how to make cocoa powder. But once you have cocoa powder, you can, it, it's not, it ceases to be bitter like in the in the way that it sort of is naturally yeah. you, you can you can process it with like um like a like a basic solutions which which neutralizes some of the acidic and bitter bitter tastes which is why you should always buy dutch processed cocoa powder which is unfortunately hard to find these days but it yeah. is it is it is it is the shit yeah, so that's, that's that's actually yeah. So the that's that's Dutch cocoa, and then twenty years later, someone figures out how to make that into a chocolate bar, and you know, sort of voila, you have chocolate. Now, the conventional histories are missing something very, very important, which is something that defined has defined the production of chocolate since Europeans got a hold of it and continues to define it today. And that thing is slavery. <laughs> Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, and you know, this is slavery is is a very sort of important part of the history of chocolate because slavery is what transforms the older ritual chocolate used by a bunch of different indigenous societies for several thousand years into modern chocolate. And and this is a, this is a point that I want to make because most most histories of chocolate tend, you know, when they're trying to find the origin of modern chocolate, they go, "Oh, it's a chocolate bar." And I think they're wrong. I think they're very wrong. I think the distinct European innovation of chocolate is to add sugar to it. Yes. And this raises the very bleak question, where does sugar come from? And the answer, of course, is slavery. Sugar is one of the primary crops of slave economies in both the colonies and the West Indies. It is one of the key elements of the so-called triangle trade, where you know, you may have, you probably have learned this in school, I... Uh, but, you know, for, for, for people who've been out of school for a long time, so the triangle trade is Europe sends manufactured goods to Africa. It, ta- it trades that for enslaved people. Enslaved people are taken from Africa to the colonies and sometimes to America, sometimes to the, the colonies in the West Indies. Uh, and then they take, you know, the products of slavery from plantations back to Europe. And that's, you know, rice, indigo, tobacco, cotton, molasses, rum, and critically sugar. Back to Europe. Actually, wait did did they did they teach you the triangle trade? Yeah. Yes. I mean, I I okay. I, I, I I did learn my my Christian homeschooling curriculum wasn't the best, but we did <laughs> we did we did cover some basic things. <laughs> it's interesting because the, the the triangle trade as a model like isn't that old, even though even though like this is the way that we all understand like how the sort of colonial trade worked. It's a kind of recent thing. Yeah, so sugar sugar is a very, very key part of this entire thing. And there's a very, very famous, a sort of classic study of sugar and slavery is uh, Sidney W. Mintz's Sweetness and Power, which is a fundamental text in a lot of sort of uh, 
I don't know, a lot of the sort of fields around the study of slavery. And one of his arguments is that the British industrial proletariat is fueled by slave sugar because the sugar is a stimulant that, you know, they're putting it in tea, which is another stimulant. They're putting it in whatever they drink. And this is a thing that allows them to keep working for longer than they otherwise would have been able to. Yeah, and this also was the origin of Britain's probably largest cultural trait, bad teeth. Um. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, so so this is this is this is a ma- many aspects of British culture have, are, are descended from from slavery, uh, and you know, but but the other the other important thing for our story is that sugar is what makes chocolate sort of palatable to Europeans, and and this is an, an a sort of interesting thing that Europeans do, um. You know, they do this with tobacco, too, where you haven't you have something that you're only supposed to use in fairly small amounts for ritual yeah. purposes. Right. And the Europeans are like, OK, but what if we purified the shit out of it and they just ate it literally every day? Yeah. Have you ever tried like unsweetened 100 percent like chocolate liquor? Uh, it or fucking it, it, sucks. I hate it. It's not good. <laughs> you, you can certainly nibble. It can be a fun novelty to nibble, but you certainly wouldn't want to eat like a whole bar of it. Yeah, it's it's some real. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, like, I mean, it makes sense that they added sugar to it. But the, the consequence of this is that we can ask we can finally ask the question right now. Now, now that it's been transformed by sugar into this object of sort of popular consumption, we can ask the question, what is chocolate? And the answer is that chocolate is colonialism plus slavery. It is a fusion of cocoa, which is an indigenous ritual drink seized as a part of the wages of colonialism by the European empires, and sugar, a slave crop that drove the colonial plantation economy. And, you know, you, you might say, Mia, you're, you know, you're being harsh here, right? Even if we accept your argument about chocolate in the 1600s, surely, surely no, that's not cool. true now. Wasn't... <laughs> Wasn't wasn't slavery abolished in the 1800s? And now I assume I assume Nestle's farming practices are totally above board. See, and, and this this is, I think, the interesting part of the story is uh, Gare, like our readers, is assuming a thing I'm about to launch into here is the Mars Nestle child slavery lawsuit. And we will, because that is a critical element of of slavery and chocolate production. But there is also still slavery and sugar production. <laughs> Capitalism and, and and not only is there slavery and sugar production, there is slavery and sugar production in the exact same places there were slavery and sugar production five hundred years ago. And this is one of the sort of stunning things about, you know, the, the, the myths of capitalism, right? Which is that okay, capitalism has had four hundred I you know, I I'm I'm gonna give them a bit of credit and be like, okay, I don't know, like I, I'm going to give capitalism a little bit of credit and give it only with being responsible for 400 years of this and not 500 years of this because, you know, whatever, complicated arguments about whether the capitalist transition is in the 1500s or 1600s. But, you know, they have had 400 years to solve the problem of slavery on Hispaniola. Has it done that? No, it is. There is still slavery on the island of Hispaniola 400 years later, which we're going to be discussing in a second. Still, the best possible thing here is that maybe and, 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 and this is it is arguable, maybe last year we there stopped being slaves there. Now, I don't even think that I don't think that's true. And we're going to get into to that. But, you know, b- before before we sort of launch into, you know, what, like whether or not there are still slaves on sugar plantations in, in the Dominican Republic, if you have had 400 years to solve a problem 
and you have not solved it, you are never going to solve it. Hey, hey, let's not <laughs> let's let's not pigeonhole ourselves here. There's a lot of things that have been around for 400 years that ought not to be. That's true, but if if you're if if you are an economic system and yeah, your economic well. system has been <laughs> you are supposed to have you are supposed to have dealt with this at least 200 years ago. But, you know, we've arrived here and this is something we've talked about before in the show at least a bit. We've arrived here at one of the real weaknesses of both sort of liberal and radical accounts of of how the capitalist economy works, because both sets of accounts take as their starting point the fact that capitalism is based on free labor, that it's free people who enter into contracts to sell you their labor, and that forced labor is this sort of like holdover from older economic yeah, systems. No, no, I actually just saw a thing today on the dying remains of Twitter about how capitalism is the only economic system that is not ba- that's not based on exploitation or violence it's based yeah. on free trade between markets <laughs> and it's like <laughs> people really believe this shit it's like i i i don't know like i don't know at, at, so, at some point i'm gonna do an episode about there's a really good book whose name i'm forgetting right now because i didn't look this up beforehand but there's a really good book on these sort of dueling forced labor systems driving the tea economy in the late 1800s. So that there's there's one forced labor system in China and a different forced labor system in India that are both warring at each other to control the tea market. It is certainly interesting <laughs> how much tea has impacted like geopolitics. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll, like, we'll 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 do an episode on that one day. Yeah, tea's not that great, guys. I'm sorry. It's fine. Not tea rips. But- tea rips. I would not. We, we just don't have good tea here. I would not do as much killing as people have done for oh, tea. Oh no, it's absolutely! Just, it's, like, it's, it's not it's, worth killing anyone over. The number of people who've been killed over it is like an Earl really Grey is fine on like a rainy afternoon, but come on. Yeah, it's not. It's not worth like conquering continents for. <sighs> but okay, so we'll back, back, back to the sort of main plot that is not tea. That is in fact chocolate. So one one of the things that we can learn that we learn from this is that. You know, forced labor is not just a holdover. It's been a it's been a central part of capitalism for as long as capitalism has existed. And given its current track record, it will be a part of capitalism for as long as it exists. And, you know, so there's always been a a racial component to this. Right. This is like trivially obvious. Right. Like there's a racial component to slavery. Like, holy shit, it's mostly about race. But I I think, you know, we can we can expand this a little bit and, and it gets you to a some sort of interesting things, which is that. Race is one of, you know, so like obviously capitalism is supposed to be based on wage labor, but race is what mediates your access to wage labor in the first place. So, you know, white, like if you're an American, right, like white Americans have basically always been able to get access to to wage labor, you know, and as shitty as wage labor is, it's (laughs) it's not as bad as the other things you can get forced into. Yeah. You know, but yeah, so like if you're black, like, you know, you, you get a successive forms of slavery. If you're indigenous, they tried to enslave you and then either sort of kept doing it or gave up and just, killed, just did the genocide. Uh, Asian people like um, who came to this continent and also sort of the West Indies largely get debt, peonage and entered servitude. And you, know, you, you can you, you can sort of work this out so on and so forth. There's there's different like modes of stuff that are the normal sort of like. What you by default have access to if you are X race, right? Yeah. And obviously this this sort of racial access to wage labor is spread across the world. You know, your your access to wage labor is dependent on sort of your subject position as colonizer and colonized, as well as, you know, your sort of global and also your like local racial hierarchies. 
because, oh boy, can that shit be really fucked up? But the upshot of this is that many of the descendants of enslaved Haitian people are still effectively enslaved today on sugar plantations in the Dominican Republic. And so we're going to we're going to tell that story. But first, we're. Oh, God. Do you know what does? Mm, no, I, I cannot guarantee that our products and services are slave free. Like, I wish I could, but. Well, do you know what is also here for a spooky time this Halloween? That's <laughs> right. These products and services. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash news. That's LifeLock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Okay, we are back. I'm drinking my not mocha coffee, drinking my regular unsweetened coffees. Therefore, totally fine. No oh, yeah, problems. Yeah. I'm sure no, there's nothing everything's shady. All, no, nothing bad. Nothing bad has ever happened in the history of coffee. No, I, I'm here. No tea, no chocolate. I'm safe. I'm good. Uh, anyway, so, continue. Unfortunately, the people who are not safe is uh, Haitians in the Dominican Republic so we are not going to do an entire history of slavery in the Jamaican Republic because because this is a chocolate episode and yeah. we only have so much time. <laughs> yeah, you know, for for many reasons. But one of the things that happened in in so we're 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 gonna we're gonna look at sort of the like the modern history of this. And by modern, I'm starting it in I'm starting it in the 80s because I've, I have to pick a place. 
Now, one of the things that happens in the 1980s is that the Dominican army effectively so goes into Haiti or just recruits Haitian people who are in the Dominican Republic and are like, hey, you're going to OK, we have like jobs for you, like come like do this work. And so a bunch of people get in like these like army vans and then they get there and they get marched out of the van. A bunch of guys point guns at them and go, you're going to work for free or we're going to ki- or like or we're going to kill you. So this is really bad. Um, and this is this is how a lot of like through the 80s and kind of early 90s, this is how a lot of sugar production worked in the Dominican Republic. And. You know, it's, it's very notable here that Dominican Republic produces a lot of sugar, and it produces a lot of sugar that specifically the U.S. uses. Now, this is like state-run slavery, right, on sort of like state-run plantations. So then we had neoliberalism, and so the state-run plantations get privatized. However, comma, <laughs> they still run on slave labor. So there, there's a very good Mother Jones uh, report about this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some of it here. Kakata is one of about a hundred, according to a local missionary's estimate, isolated camps scattered around Central Romana. Central Romana is a giant uh, sugar plantation. Central Romana's 160,000 acres of sugarcane, a tract almost as big as New York City. Most of the workers and their families live in these batailles, rising in the morning to work the cane in the punishing heat, clearing weeds, slashing, and spraying the stalks. Nearly all are men of Haitian descent. Some were trafficked back in the day of... The journalist who's doing this uh, was the guy who basically uncovered a bunch of the, the original armies, like the military slavery program in the 90s. And so he went back like a couple of years ago. <laughs> so he's talking about so some of some of the some of the people were trafficked back to the military slavery program. Others were born and lived stateless and others came from Haiti more recently, paying uh, paying smugglers to sneak them across the border. For years, the government has resisted providing legal status to people of Haitian heritage in the country, even those born there. An estimated 200,000 people who for generations have been demeaned by race and class are stateless. For the men in the camps, Chantra Romana is the state. Their villages are patrolled by armed company police empowered to evict. Chantra Romana owns the land where the Haitians work, the rail cars where they weigh and load the cane and stocks, and the dwellings where they sleep. They are miles from the nearest Dominican town not controlled by the company. So things going great here. Um, Yeah. And the conditions, you know, OK, so so the, the 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 sort of the capitalist reforms that neoliberalism has brought to this system are the number of child slaves has decreased dramatically because that was a big thing when the first reporting went out. Everyone was like, holy shit, there's a bunch of child slaves. This is a terrible Progress. thing. <laughs> yeah. So we have less child slaves. Right. Progress. We did it. And. Joe. You know, so instead of of the child slaves, right, it's now mostly adults. Um, but the conditions here are still effectively slavery, even even after the sort of child slavery stuff like is driven under on, on a good day. These workers make three dollars a day and they are effectively and sometimes literally unable to leave. Now, th- there are a lot of reasons for this. One of the big ones is that most of the workers there are most like basically all like you, you might find a worker somewhere who isn't stuck in this, but they're caught in these debt traps uh, by Central Romana, who and these these are like classic company, but they're not they're worse than than like a you know the classic American company town because at least in American company town you can go to another town that is not controlled by the company, whereas these people like cannot, and so they're caught in these debt traps by uh, Central Romana, which is the the company that owns this, these plantations. 
And because they're so in debt, they're constantly forced to work for the company in order to pay off their debt. But, you know, they never actually make enough money to pay the debt off. And so they have to take on more debt to survive until, you know, and largely what happens is these people work there in debt until they die. This is classic debt peonage, where sort of debt transforms people into the effective property of the debt holder, who exacerbate the debt by denying them the ability to live without taking on more debt. A very common way this happens is with medical debt, which is something I, you know, I think we're familiar with to some extent here, but is egregiously worse. And the other thing that, that I was realizing about this is that this is actually really eerily similar to the way that Cortez and the conquistadors enslaved indigenous people during the genocide. Yeah. They, they would do the same thing of like, well, okay, now you're in debt to me. And because you can't pay the debt, you have 500% interest per week. And so, you know, the debt just accumulates and now you work for me for the rest of your lives. And this is, you know, this is one of the, one of the sort of ways in which this, the long shadow of Spanish imperialism like looms over the Dominican Republic, even in what has really been about 200 years of uh, the age of the American empire, you know, and, and, and as, you know, obviously like as much of an effect as the Spanish empire has had here and oh God, it's not good. Today, it is the American empire that lines the pockets of the slavers of the Dominican Republic. So... Central Romana is owned by this this family called the Fanjul family, who are these uh, uh, Cuban expats who run uh, this like enormous resort and shit where they live in Florida and are handed. And, and this is really fun. One hundred and fifty million dollars by the American state every year in the form of price supports for sugar. So like you're an American, right? Like obviously your your, your tax money very obviously goes to support slavery because we have prisons. And so your your taxes are paying to enslave people, but your taxes are also paying for slavery in other countries. It's incredible. Really, really great stuff from the from the American political system here. And, you know, and the way this has been maintained is through you know, like two. I think in the last 20 years, Mother Jones reported they've they've spent the, the sugar lobby has spent two hundred and twenty million dollars on campaign contributions and lobbying. And it works really well. They've been able to influence the system for a very, very long time. The other funny thing about the Fanjul family is that they've created the perfect political trap, which is so one of one of the brothers is like a Trump guy and the other person is a Hillary supporter. And they're both like incredibly enmeshed in both of the circles. So it's great. Uh, thing, thing, things are going very good. So after so the, the Mother Jones investigation was like in the last uh, I think it was last year the year before and when the mother jones investigation about the fact that like all of this shit was still happening came out uh there was a there was a giant uproar about it and a couple of things happened one is that so the, the village that the journalists had visited uh central romana like they didn't even bulldoze the villages they blew everyone's houses down with like sledgehammers and forcibly moved them to like other villages and separated people's families so that's that's great. And then so in late 2022, under under pressure from this reporting, the U.S. government like banned imports from that specific company. And OK, it's unclear what is going to happen with it. If you know, if if they're going to get unbanned eventually, uh, if it's going to stick, if they're just going to like, I don't know, like transfer the assets to another company or something and use that instead. 
as so as of right now, this specific set of plantations is not able to export sugar to the U.S. So this is this is as much of a victory over slavery as we're going to get in this episode. And this victory is incredibly reassuring. That's not. No, it's only going to get worse. This is this is the peak of of anti-slavery stuff we're going to see here. Yeah, so oh, yeah. enjoy it while you can. And do you know what else you should enjoy? Oh, the, the, these products and services that support <laughs> yes. this podcast? That's good. Yes. This is, this is the real peak of the episode, folks. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I am rejuvenated by the advertising industrial complex. I feel ready to hear other tales of great progress. Woo! Okay, so now 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 we're now we're gonna turn to the type of slavery that everyone I think expected this episode to mostly be about, which is the fact that cocoa bean production is also largely produced by slave labor. So Okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna read a bit from a report by the Food Empowerment Project, which has done some very good work on, well, sp- like specifically slavery in West Africa. They're also one of the only media people I've ever seen talk about the fact that a lot of this stuff, it's not exactly the same, but a lot of the sort of slavery stuff also seems to be happening on plantations in Brazil, but there's effectively no coverage of it that's not in Portuguese. I don't know. So like, eventually, eventually one day, I guess like. The fact that other places other than West Africa have slavery will hit the the Anglophone media class or whatever. But until then, I'm going to read uh, this section. 
In West Africa, cocoa is a commodity crop grown primarily for export. Cocoa is the Ivory Coast primary export and makes up about half the country's agricultural export in volume. Most cocoa farmers earn less than $1 a day, an income below the extreme poverty line. As a result, they often resort to the use of child labor to keep their prices competitive. In many Com- cases, this is... Yeah, yeah. This is... Whew. One of the things that happens when, you, when you're reading about child slavery stuff is even people who, like, are trying to you know draw attention to how bad this is you get stuff like that that's like jesus christ this is <laughs> yeah so you know, they're, they're making sub one dollar a day they're using child labor in many cases this includes what the, the international labor organization calls quote the worst form of child labor okay these are defined as practices quote likely to harm the health safety or morals of children Approximately 2.1 million children in Ivory Coast and Ghana work on cocoa farms, most of whom are likely exposed to the worst form of child labor, which is also really good that like we've 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 cap- capitalism has finally reached the, you know, the, the apex of its, of its control of the commanding heights of the world economy, which means that we're talking about we're, we're trying to make tier lists of how bad child labor is. Well, yeah, I mean, a whole bunch of child labor laws just got, like, rolled back across many, uh, many states here yeah, in it's this really great good. country. So it's very exciting. The children very, yearn very, for the mines. It's Yeah, it's, 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 it's great. You know, so, so obviously a lot of the, the, the child slavery on cocoa farms are from sort of, like, larger... I mean, I guess they are corporate, but from sort of, like, larger plantations... <laughs> But also, lest you think that it's better on family farms, no, family farms, I mean, I guess it is technically better than, like, being kidnapped and enslaved, is merely doing child labor on your family's, like, cocoa yeah, just farm. Yeah, just, just being born into these pretty, pretty, uh, not great labor practices that you really have no say in or any agency whatsoever, yeah. Yeah, and, like, you know, this is one of these things where, like, the, the economic conditions are so bad that people are people are facing impossible choices. And and I think we can say that they make the wrong choice, which is a, a lot of. OK, so like there, there are there are sort of different ways that children get trafficked into slavery work. Um, a lot of them are sold by their own families who do not have enough resources to take care of them and are like, OK, we'll we'll basically sell these people so they can go do this job. And these families don't know that like their child was about to be enslaved right they're just like okay well they're gonna go off and do work but the other way that this happens is that kids from like villages in other countries like there's a lot of focus on Mali as one of the places this happens from but yeah so there's a lot of these effect what are effectively raids into into Mali from the Ivory Coast to like steal children and it also happens in Burkina Faso you know and this gets to the point where, you know, I'm going to read a quote from one of these uh, from from this report again. In one village in Burkina Faso, almost every mother in the village has had a child trafficked onto cocaine farms. Traffickers will then sell children to cocaine farmers. So this is like the worst paranoid fantasies of every American right winger, except it's, you know, this is just how chocolate is made. Yeah, this is, you know, all of all of the sound of freedom guys. Uh, with all of, you know, the whole uproar around that movie earlier this year versus all of them uh, yeah. enjoying their little 
M&M's and Kit Kats. Yep. And, and hey, I, I like the occasional Kit Kats too. This is, this is a, a massive problem. <laughs> I, I don't know. I really love chocolate. I have not eaten any chocolate since I started researching this. And I like, and it's, and it's but it sucks. Cause it's like, you can't, you can't, and we're going to get into more of this in a second, but like, you can't like ethically consume your way out of this. Right. Like, but, because the conditions of but free trade cocoa exists. Oh boy. Yeah. We're going to get into that. But yeah, the, like there's, there's no, there's no actual systemic, like there's no way that you can like, you can't change this stuff with your individual consumption habits. And, you know, that's something that's just really fucking bleak about this because these conditions are, I mean, as bad as you can possibly imagine. Uh, but the food empowerment project describes like children as young as five are forced to work up to 14 hours a day, like chopping down cocoa pods and then chopping them open with machetes. And sometimes these people get, sometimes these kids are using chainsaws to like clear wood, like clear down, like, forests yeah and you know okay so th- this goes exactly how you expect it to go which is a bunch of these kids just have a bunch of fucking scars from when they've been slashed by machetes because again you are handing machetes to children some of whom are as young as five and then they have to carry a hundred pound bags of cocoa beans through the jungle and this is the thing that's also happening in the Dominican Republic and this happens a lot in a lot of places is that they just get you know when when, when companies want to spray like their farms with pesticides right they don't even bother even like clearing people out which might you know help like a tiny bit to make them not like die from fucking poison but no like these these fucking dipshits just like spray them with toxic chemicals as just like spray them with pesticides like a lot of whom are carcinogens um a lot of and this is happening in in the dominican the sugarcane fields in in the dominican republic too and a lot of those people just fucking died because you know they were sprayed with these chemicals there was a really terrible story of of a, of a of a guy who was trying to sue Central Romana and just fucking died from the like he wasn't able to get a payoff from the lawsuit because he died in 2020 before the lawsuit could like finish. So here's another great quote from the Food Empowerment Project. The farm owners using child labor usually provide the children with the cheapest food available, such as corn paste or the cassava and bananas that grow in the surrounding forest. In some cases, the children sleep on wooden planks in small windowless buildings without access to clean water or sanitary bathrooms. And, you know, another key part of this, right, is like, okay, so the conditions are obviously unbearably bad, but, you know, a key part of this, like any system of slavery, is the physical violence against the enslaved people who are repeatedly and often beaten and abused and tortured in ways that are very reminiscent of sort of like older epochs of slavery if they try to escape. Now, this is the, the companies care about this to the extent that it's bad PR. Yes. And the chocolate companies repeated like the chocolate companies. OK, they they signed a thing in the year 2000 where they said we're going to eliminate child's the worst forms of child slavery by 2005. Yeah, like this is this has been a known issue for like. Yeah. Over two decades. Now, Garrison, yes. What year is it right now? <laughs> uh, the year of our Lord, 2023. Yeah, they have been they have been promising to end child slavery in these. Uh, in, for, no, 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 no. The worst. The worst. Forms that's of true. Child well, so originally, they were supposed to be ending child slavery. And then uh, and then they, they scaled it down to the worst forms. Only the worst. <laughs> but they have been promising to do this for longer than you have been alive. Yes, correct. 
which is terrifying. Now, yes, it's, yes. And and as we'll get into later, right, the number of child slaves is higher than it was when they started doing these child slave reduction efforts. So, or quote unquote reduction efforts, which are just sort of PR bullshit. So industry lobbying groups are also very, very powerful. And this is part of part of how this stuff persists. So the University of Chicago has a center called NORAC, which is like a public research center. Um, I don't know. I went to that fucking school. I don't trust any of these motherfuckers. And neither should you, because it turns out there is. So, OK, so they, they released this report on how bad child slavery is. Right. But there was a leak of the original version of the report that was supposed to come out. And the, the original version of the report has the number of child slaves at like 2.2 million. Now, when the report actually comes out with no justification whatsoever and using a bunch of numbers for child slavery that are from before COVID-19, the NORAC report was like, ah, oh, there's only like 1.6 million child slaves. So 600,000 child slaves just sort of vanished in an editorial process after they got they came under fire from uh, <laughs> the they came under fire from the chocolate lobby. Yeah, yeah, let's uh, let's round that down. It makes it make, makes it yeah. a little easier to palate. Well, and and the other thing that it hides is that there's been a ten to fifteen percent increase in the number of, of of child slaves working in like in the co in in cocoa since COVID started because COVID's been a, a, a giant sort of you know the, the economic damage that COVID caused forced a bunch of people into into you know increasingly desperate things. And, you know, OK, so uh, we, 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 we tease this a little bit. You might be thinking, well, I can eat fair trade chocolate, right? I can pay ten dollars for a chocolate bar. So it has fair trade on it and it will and that will make sure that I'm only eating chocolate produced by free labor. Nope. The certifications for the chocolate are fucking bullshit. You're still eating slave chocolate. Um, the, the, the follow is an excerpt from a study conducted by the Corporate Accountability Lab on the failure of initiatives in the chocolate industry like certifications. Quote. In order to understand the gap between consumer perception and farmer impact better, we brought certified chocolate bars to villages where some or all of the farmers were certified. We held up the bar with the label and explained to the farmers what consumers expected out of the label. Primarily that farmers were paid a fair price, earned a decent living, and certain practices like child labor and deforestation were not present. We also explain the difference in retail price between fair trade and uncertified chocolate. The overwhelming response from farmers to this information was shock and outrage. One farmer pulled out his worn shirt in front of him and asked if it looked like he earned a decent living. A woman in one village said she can hardly afford to send her children to school. So how could anyone think she earned a fair price? Our farmer consultations revealed virtually imperceptible differences between certified and uncertified farms in terms of living incomes, poverty, education, access to health care, farmer bargaining power, or access to information. So, yeah, the, the, all the people who are telling you they're doing some fair trade shit, they're keeping your money, and the places they're getting it from are as fucked as, the, as Hershey's. Yeah. So this is bad. Now, you, you might also think, OK, we can get out of this by buying from cocoa cooperatives, except except. And this is a wonderful thing that capitalism has wrought on the world. Uh, most cocoa collectives aren't actually like workers collect, like aren't actually co-ops. No, they're I'm just sure sort they're of all People's Republic of Chocolate Farmers. I'm, I'm sure they're all 
reciting well, a little is, red book. <laughs> this is something actually, this is something that China actually pioneered because there's, there's a bunch of firms in China that are also tech. We, I talked about this in my, did an episode, a bachelor's episode a long time ago about this milk company that poisoned 300,000 babies. Uh-huh. And that company was technically a co-op, but like it was a co-op uh-huh. in the sense that there was a small group of workers who were basically managers who owned shares, and then they just hired every, sourced everything out to independent contractors. So okay. it functioned like a normal company. Yeah. And this is a thing a lot. This The cocoa trade stuff is actually worse because most of these things that are called co-ops aren't even co-ops at all. They're just set up by cocoa growers as like fake co-ops. And there are, there are like a very, very small number of, of, of these cocoa farms that are actually workers cooperatives, but there's no way to tell which one is which. Unless you spend a bunch of time, like, actually going and tracking the cooperatives down. So, there's no sort of, like, ethically way out of this, right? You're just kind of, you're, you know, like, you can't, you can't eat your way out of this problem. And, of course, everything across the board, all the con- these conditions have gotten worse since the pandemic. So, you know, it, it's, it's... <laughs> Not only is capitalism not making things better, every like things are in fact getting worse. Now, all right, I promised you the lawsuits. Uh, we're we're gonna talk a bit about the lawsuits. So there were actually two big lawsuits. There were eight people from Mali who were enslaved by cocoa plantations after being trafficked from Mali. Sued Nestle, Cargill, Barry, Calabar. I don't know some French shit. Mars, Alam, Hershey's. Modeles to try to get compensation from the companies by virtue of the fact that the companies sold products made by their child slave labor. Yeah. Now, there's also a separate lawsuit against slightly different companies. It's a lot of the same companies, slightly different. That's using a different set of legal arguments. Both of the lawsuits have been thrown out. And and I want to take a second to, to look at the reasoning here, both of which are sort of just amazing. So I think the most famous one is the Supreme Court's eight to one decision that said, well, so like all this stuff happened, but it happened outside the U.S. So you can't sue companies for it here, which is an amazing piece of logic, which is just like, oh, yeah, no, actually, like corporations like American corporations could just go everywhere else and do crimes. And this is and the American legal system is specifically written in such a way that like if, if, if an American corporation enslaves you in like the Ivory Coast. There's nothing you can do about it in the U.S. And then a judge in D.C. threw out the other case because, you know, their argument was, well, you can't prove that the companies knew you were being enslaved on those farms. There's no, quote, traceable connection between the people who enslaved you and the company. So there's nothing we can do. And the, the reason both these arguments work is the reason for the structure of the chocolate market, right? The, the reason cocoa plantations in the Ivory Coast and also in Brazil can get away with this, you know, well, the reason that the, those plantations are in the Ivory Coast or Brazil or other places, the reason they're happening there and not in the U.S. is because these are places where you can get away with that level of exploitation and corporate violence that, you know, in the U.S. would be a lot more difficult. And this shields them from legal liability. Furthermore, instead of just, you know, jumping, instead of just running the cocoa plantations themselves, which these companies could easily do, right? This is a very, very large trade. They could just sort of like, they could just vertically, vertically, not even vertically integrate. They could just actually make chocolate. Like they could just run the process and they just, they very specifically choose not to do it. And the reason they choose not to do it, this is a hundred billion dollar industry, right? But but instead, they what they choose to do is to just buy cocoa from the chocolate market where all these sort of nebulous producers sell, 
which allows the chocolate companies to go, oh, well, these people don't work for us. We just buy chocolate from the market. How are we supposed to know uh, which yeah, of these plantations so- use slave labor? <laughs> so it puts like one degree of separation. Yeah, well, it's, it's actually two degrees. It's an additional degree of separation from the way something like Walmart works, right? Where Walmart has a bunch of independent contractors. This isn't even contractors. They're just buying finished products from co- things they're like ta- they're com- like completely unaffiliated with. And this gives them like it gives them like two degrees of legal separation because it's not it's not just that their contractors are doing something that they didn't know about. It's that they're just buying it, right? And this fucking sucks. Um, and, you know, since laws exist to protect the ruling class, judges and courts can just wave their hands and go, well, these companies definitely enslaved you, but uh, we, we have no choice but to let them comp- off completely scot-free. So sorry about that. And I want to end today with something that has been running through my mind every since I fucking started researching this, which is that the bourgeoisie must pay for their crimes. The state has failed. The court has failed. The NGOs have failed. And... If anything is ever going to fucking happen that forces these companies to be in any way, if there there is to be like a single iota of justice for the fact that all of these companies have been fucking gorging themselves on the profits of slave labor at all, uh, we are going to do it or no one is. So congratulations, uh, you, the American worker, it is unfortunately incumbent on you to deal with these fucking corporations. That have been destroying the entire world. So, yeah, happy spooky week, everyone. <laughs> yes, this is very scary. Yeah. Well, thank you for that lovely, uh, depressing presentation, uh, Mia. Um, I mean, I guess, is, is, there, is, there, is there a sort of takeaway besides there's no ethical consumption under capitalism? I mean, like... <sighs> I mean, uh, cap- capitalism will never abolish slavery, I know, I, one. I, I know there is one U.S. state where they grow chocolate, uh, which is Hawaii, which has its own oh, problems yeah. of colonization. So even if you try to <laughs> yep. buy from a place that is, you know, arguably has less chocolate slavery, it's g- generally better produced. It still is. You're still implicating yourself in, in, in uh, all of the problems relating to like uh, the independence of that island. Um, and the U.S.'s colonization, so it's 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 it, we're really just really just kind of trapped on all sides here, uh, is what it feels yeah. like. Yeah, I mean, in this terms is a this Halloween chocolate problem. Yeah, and I mean, and I I think I think the the way to think about this right is that this this is an actual systemic issue, right? This is a systemic thing capitalism has been doing for about four hundred years, like since its entire existence. And if you want to if you want to end it. We have to you have to actually you it's not it's not even enough to destroy these companies, right? Because even if you brought down every single one of these chocolate companies, right, there would just be another round of chocolate companies that would be doing exactly the same shit. So you have to you you have to destroy the system of property by which these things are allowed to exist. And at that point, maybe you can start on being able to eat food that isn't produced by slave labor. It it turns out Willy Wonka was the villain the whole time. You know, I, I was trying to think about the amount of slave labor that we see from him versus the amount of slave labor uh, in actual lot. chocolate. We see a lot of and slave labor from yeah, Willy Wonka. It's, yes. it's a, it's, I think Wonka is using more slave labor, but not by as much as it should be. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to say. I, th- I, I think it's pretty clear that 
Wonka's use of slave labor is just an accurate representation of the, yeah, yeah. Of, of the real life chocolate <laughs> yes. industry. Yes. So yeah, go 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 enjoy your weekend and then Go enjoy uh, that new fucking Twink Wonka movie that looks I have to say, dog shit. Oh yeah. Bad terrible bad casting. worst idea bad casting. Worst idea anyone's had since capitalism. Twink Wonka, I'm sorry, it doesn't slap. I, I it's, zero out of ten. Uh, anyway, well, uh, tune in in the next few days for uh, uh, two more Spooky Week episodes for you. We only got we only got three this week because there's a lot of other news happening. But yeah, we at least have two other Spooky Week episodes that I am about to finish working on. So stay tuned for that. Goodbye. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.